So it is Skipoli, and welcome again to another episode of Latin and Layman's. It's been a bit. I skipped last week because so many other things have been occurring in my life right now, and um, just had to put that weekend a little bit to the rest, or to rest rather. Um, but uh, I'm back at it again. I'm going to give you guys episodes. I know right now they're still under that locked subscription thing. Um, according to, I just was checking it out, the weird pay period of which I'm going to be paid a total amount from this podcast of $2.21, just to let you know how much I really, really don't care about the monetization of this thing. Um, once it switches, it'll switch on the 18th back to the way it was where, um, you could just, I guess, uh, it says that I can set up listener support and listener support refers to, I guess you guys can just throw me a little change here or there. If you it's like a little tip, I guess, I don't know. I would appreciate it. You know, I do give all this free and I'm getting people sliding into my DM saying on Instagram, on TikTok, saying that, um, my, my TikToks along with my podcast, um, is teaching them and with Duolingo as well, apparently, um, it's teaching them exuberant amounts of Latin, exuberant amounts of Latin. Um, yeah, you can't, you can't say exuberance is silly Liam, but, um, yeah, you know, that, that fills my soul that, that, that fills my cup. So good to hear, you know, and with that being said that the reason why, um, last week was thrown a little bit to the whim is because I'm st- starting to get a lot more people asking about, um, online tutoring. And, uh, I want to fill those spots while I also can like create a semblance of sanity in my life. But, you know, like I've always said, like my body is kind of, it's coming to a head with the job that I'm doing right now. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, I've been talking to my coworkers. I I'm just asking for them to, to really think about me right now because, uh, it's really is just like, it's like, I'm trying to show up. I'm trying to grind. I'm trying to do what I'm doing. I'm tutoring. I'm TikToking. I'm teaching full-time, which really is overtime every single day. If you guys don't know it, it, like it is, that's what it is. And, um, you know what? It's just, it's, it's not conducive for my body with the autoimmune stuff. And I, I don't think that really people understood until it's gotten to this crisis point. I mean, my admin, I remember talking to him, the only suggestion that he had at the very beginning from my high school admin, he asked if I was seeing a nutritionalist. And I was like, that really goes to show you your understanding and level of at least sympathy towards what I deal with, even though he showed such concern for me and such, well, it seemed like sorrow and or pity and or understanding, but there really is a lack thereof. And, um, I just don't know what to do when I am trying to go to my job, trying to take care of my health, trying to move forward in this life, trying to also build my, my side job. It's tough. I hope you guys understand and maybe give me a little bit of grace as well. I love you all so much. The questions that you give me are amazing. And um, on TikTok, I feel like we've just created this community where we just kind of talk and we're communicating like, you know, this new term parasocial relationships has just come into my vernacular. I thought it was weird at first to think about that para like parallel para means alongside social. So parasocial really refers to alongside social relationships on like as in the social media, social web 
Um, so I, you know, I consider you guys all my friends. It's just like, we just don't physically interact. I feel like we would all really jive super well, um, all shooting the crap and whatnot if we were in the same place. Also, Gigi, I noticed that you, um, if you do, if you are listening, I noticed that you left a question about uh, my Patreon's link not working. Um, I will go ahead and check that out. I, You know what? If you want to help me out, I would appreciate it. So far, I've got Taylor, one of my tooties as well, rocking awesome uh, student as well as just your, your, your mind is great. And then um, Madeline, thank you so much. I appreciate you. And you're a new newcomer, it seems, but uh, we're embracing you and I embrace you and I appreciate you. And I will always shout out my supporters for, you know what, supporting me because that's what it's all about. It's about lifting each other up. And we're in a world where we tend to shove each other down in order to lift each other up or feel like we're being lifted up. But really, we're just trying to push other people down to keep the level that we are. And that's really, really low vibrational stuff, really low vibrational stuff. We don't want that. We kick that kind of energy to the curb. And if, uh, if there's anybody here that creeps alongside, uh, we kick that energy to the curb as well. All right, because we're here for the process of learning, growing, and also just appreciating each other and the diversity of humankind, because that's also what language is. It's, it's culture. It's anthropological. It's understanding that what, where I am now is entirely different than what is happening right now in Gaza, which makes me so, so sad for those people out there. Um, featuring a little train in the background. If you hear that, I live pretty close to a train. There was a point in time, a little side tangent here, where I was worried about living next to a train because last year and earlier this year, there's been all these train derailments and then all these chemical spills and stuff. And I'm like, yo, I don't want to be one of these irradiated people, uh, you know, walking this earth. Uh, I live close to a train. What if one day I just wake up and I learn that there's some sort of thing right outside my door and I have no way of means of anyways, I'm, I'm stressing with that being said, um, we'll get on into the, um, episode. We're going to be talking about relative pronouns and clauses. In this case, it's going to be a little, little, um, dense. So, Try and turn on those ears as much as you can. Allow that learning process to occur because that's really, uh, as I explain it to my students, I don't agree with the structure of school. I don't think that we're doing learning the entire time we're at school. I think that school is a lot of other things. It's about bringing in social aspects and awareness. Like I feel like I, I really am a teacher to a lot of my students and I am really teaching them a lot of social skills that they're having that they really, they check themselves on sometimes. Like I'm proud of them that they're trying to be better, but like there's an aspect of being at school just to improve sociability. There's an aspect of school to be able to be with your friends. There's an aspect of school to work out your brain because we don't want it to atrophy and turn to mush because we know people like that. And those are little dummy dumbs. And what do I always say? Looks fade, but dumb is forever. All right. And those people that put stock in their image will hold on to that image. And it turns into kind of a really painful process where you look at them later on in life and you're like, just stop. Madonna, just stop. Calm down. It's okay, girlfriend. You look great. You're, you could, you, you, 
yeah, you just, anyways, you know what I mean. And if you don't, go ahead and look up a picture of Madonna because she used to, she, stunning, stunning woman, always. But I think that there's a layer of, um, of, uh, synthetic that, uh, you can't really see through anymore to actually get to the real Madonna. Uh, yep. Synthetic, sin meaning together with. Etic, referring to putting or, and or placing. Synthetic really just refers to putting things together. Anyways, let's get on into this episode. Also, I wanted to uh, address how, like, towards the end of the, the year, they do a Spotify wrapped uh, for podcasters. And I remember I did it last year, and I just, I'm thinking about it now and how, like, you know, I've had people ask me about starting a podcast and what it what it is really to um you know the process of it and I'm like you know it really is just starting it's just getting going and getting that momentum you guys know me what do I always say that's why I post those on those days a year ago 2 years ago on TikTok even though people are still so completely incompetent and unaware looking at their own phones that they think that I cut my hair and suddenly grow back, uh, you know, five inch follicles, uh, in a means of eight hours. It really, yeah, I know. Right. You guys like you've seen that stuff. It's ridiculous. It's let's show a little bit. Of, and, and it's so funny. You guys have seen how the, uh, I was talking to my students about this cause they also think it's hilarious because they're like, man, it's just like, I'm like, dude, like, honestly, like, I I am more than my curls. I can't wait until I cut my hair and see what people really react like because, and I don't think I will for a while because I actually li- like this hair for the first time in my life. This is kind of cool. I feel, I used to feel so self-conscious having long hair and like, you know, I, I expounded on that in a Q&A a while back as well as a TikTok, but, um, you know, I embrace it now and stuff like that, but that's why, you know, I'm that's why looks fade, but dumb is forever, y'all. And I'm never going to put stock in my image because my curls are not Latin in layman's. Latin in layman's is not my curls. So <laughs> just had to say that in case uh, you think it is because it's not. And um, But anyways, going back to the rap thing, wrapped is about um, – it goes to show like how many hours you've put in into your podcast over that year. And I remember I had put in like – I was in the top 99 percentile by a lot because I had put in like, oh man, I can't remember. I know I could pull up a picture on my Google photos, um, but I wanted to show everybody. It's just like I put in like, yeah, it was, it was in the top 99 percentile of podcasters just putting in the reps. And, and what do I always say? Well, when I was doing that little teeny tiny uh, ad for Spotify for podcasters, I had done some research and I was looking at as the reason as to why people don't really do podcasts and, and you know, what really leads to successful podcasts. And what I, I found out, which I always found was interesting. And this is why I try and just show it to people or, to, you know, show this evidence is that really like it's about like 90% of podcasters don't get past three episodes. It's roughly 90%. And and um, in uh, numbers that equates to about almost 2 million, 1.8 million who quit. So 1.8, 2 million would be the whole 100%. Um, but of the 200 are left, 90 per, nine per, ugh, 99% will quit after 20 episodes. So 
past three episodes, 99% of podcasters don't get passed. And then with those 200,000 left, 90% quit, quit before they reach after 20 episodes. And that's another 180,000 people gone right there. Like, like wham. So literally to be in the top percent of podcasters in the world, which I guess I am, even though I still have like a very small traction base and I don't make money off this thing and I don't have sponsors or whatever, like all these, you know, Tim Ferriss or um, uh, who are big and, you know, like Lex Free. I, I like listening to comedy podcasts a lot. Um, all, but um, like, I mean, like they all have uh, like even these smaller ones, like I've even listened to these smaller like etymology things and they even have like, like, I don't care, whatever. If it happens, it happens. I'm still doing it for the thing because I'm showing up and I always will show up. You just got to publish 21 episodes of your podcast and you're in 21, uh, the first, the blech, 1%, top 1%. The competition are not the guys up at the top. It's about you. Your competition is you. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being the best. It's about putting in the reps. I never thought that I would quote myself ever because of how contrived and egotistical that sounds. But somebody made that, or Zoe made that edit. Um, and it helped get me a lot of traction on my TikTok. But it also spoke volumes to what I really meant there because that was actually the video that got me um, viral, oddly enough. I find that so funny that that was the case. Anyways, let's get into relative pronouns right now because there's one rule and one very important rule. And it's for, to remember that relative pronouns agree with its antecedent in number and gender, but not case. It derives its case from its use in its own clause. You, what does that mean? All right, kiddos, vacation's over. The last episode we did was pretty easy. Hope you enjoyed it. Now we're back to business because clause refers to a dependent or subordinate thought or sentence which is embedded inside another thought or sentence. Nice. So when the clause is called subordinate or dependent, it means it can't stand alone grammatically. Therefore, if I said when I'm in bed, yet you kind of go like, well, what? Um, because it's not a full thought, right? Although you tried, what? Well, I think I know you, where you're going with that. Just to be safe, you ought to try to finish the grammar first so I don't fill in the blanks for you and try and think what you're thinking. As they say, I think you get the point, though. The presence of subordinate conjunctions like when, although, as, turns sentences like I'm home, you tried, they say, into clauses which cannot stand alone anymore. So then moving on to the term relative. So this term is used for the type of clause we're studying in this chapter, right? Refers to a certain a sort of subordinate clause one which begins with what grammarians call a relative pronoun. English has a number of relative pronouns, primarily who and which, but also what and that can also sometimes function as relative pronouns, and we'll soon discover that. I'll get into that. But in English, even the absence of relative pronouns can indicate the beginning of a relative clause. So that's a double nice right there, all right? 
I know. Hope you're opening up those ears. A relative pronoun is called a relative because it relates a subordinate thought to a noun outside that relative clause. I think that that's the best I can do with it right now. To put it in more layman's terms, the entire clause, I guess I could say, well, the entire clause functions as a sort of large, complex adjective modifying that noun type of thing, which is called an antecedent and just like an adjective, the whole relative clause describes or defines that noun. I guess that susses it out a little bit more, hopefully. Let's look at it maybe in English while I get a little sippy sip here. Let me introduce you to an example. All right, let's say we're going to make it silly. I have a sibling who eats, or I have, let's make it plural. I have siblings because I have plural siblings. I have siblings who eat pizza. Who is a relative pronoun? I have a pizza which eats my siblings, which is a relative pronoun. I know that that sounds weird. I'm just trying to change it around. I'm going to try to show stark contrast here for a sec. Bear with me. This is my pizza that eats my siblings. This is another relative pronoun. What my pizza eats is none of your business. What is a relative pronoun? And finally, or do you want to be the food my pizza eats? I don't know why I just personified pizza, you guys, but just go with it. I think it's because I'm looking at my lanyard across the way here, and my lanyard has that pizza pin on it. So if you guys have seen all my TikToks before, I don't really show my lanyard anymore because, you know, admin. Um, the absence of the relative pronoun between food and my pizza is also a relative pronoun of sorts. So, yep, there are five different ways to represent the relative pronoun in English, and uh, that's pretty wacky. Almost as wacky as my pizza, I guess. Notice, that, oh my God, sometimes I'm great. God. Notice that each of these relative pronouns introduce a clause called a relative clause. I've underlined them here. Who eats pizza? Which eats my siblings? That eats my siblings. What my pizza eats? And my pizza eats. Where the relative pronoun is omitted. In a sense, each of these relative clauses is really a little separate thought, a separate sentence with its own grammar. In the clause, who eats pizza, who functions as the subject, eats is the verb, and pizza is the direct object. If you turn the dependent relative clause into an independent sentence and use and, so it reads, and they eat pizza, you can see very clearly that they, the equivalent of who, is the subject of the sentence. I know it's a lot, you guys. Grammar is, you know what, this is what English has done, all right? Don't ask me why, because I was not consulted in the design phase. I'm just relaying all this information because, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, it's confusing for me too sometimes. In the relative clause, which eats my pizza, which again is functioning as the subject, which is odd to think about. As you can easily see, if you turn the relative clause into an independent clause, though, and then you rephrase it as it um, or, or rather as, um, and it eats my pizza. 
And the same for that eats my pizza. It's equivalent to and it eats my pizza. But while all these clauses have full grammar, nominative subjects, verbs, direct objects, accusatives, and all that stuff and so on, none of them can stand alone grammatically and make sense because they're all introduced by the relative pronoun, a subordinating conjunction that creates a non-independent clause. That's what clause means, that there's a full, complete, and coherent grammar embedded in that sentence, but the statement cannot stand alone and make sense without its aforementioned counterparts, aka the relative clauses. In order to be a part of a grammatical construction you make that makes sense, rather, the relative clause must be embedded inside a larger sentence or thought, which is not, or at least less, subordinate grammatically. And the way the clause is connected to the main sentence is through the relative pronoun, which has an antecedent, a noun that it's tied to in the main sentence and that the clause modifies. I know. I'm I'm trying my best here, you guys. I hope you may have to re watch it again with your mind's eye. Antecedents get their name from the fact that they tend to seed cadere to come in Latin, ante before. Look at that. Antecedent literally means that which comes before the relative clause that modifies them. Huh. Got to throw in some etymology when I can, Bef especially when it makes things make more sense. What is an antecedent? Now you know. It comes before the relative clause that it modifies because it etymologically means that is well embedded within its roots. Before we take that next step and look at how relative pronouns and antecedents interact, though, and even how the Latin relative pronoun is formed, let's make certain that, the, that you rather understand the English side of the equation. Because that's what I always got to do, and that's why I'm ha getting really ticked off when I have juniors thinking that um, from is a verb. No, in is not an adverb. In is a preposition. This is what I'm dealing with in this world post-COVID. Anyways, uh, it's just... I got to make sure that you guys know the English side. It's my MO, my modus operandi, my mode of operation. My means of operation really is what it more means. English uses its relative forms, who, which, what, but as relative pronouns and as interrogatives, question words, inter meaning between, rogo, rogare means to ask. The action of asking in between, interrogative, which is more so an interrogative statement can have a little bit of an interjection kind of quality with that question embedded within. So maybe you're interrupting a little bit. So maybe you might want to take a step back. Like I have to tell my students all the time about what social cues are. Yep. But while these forms are identical, their grammatical functions couldn't be more different. Interrogative pronouns are used in dependent thoughts, such as what are you doing, where, what introduces a question that's a full thought versus what you are doing, which is not a full thought. It needs an independent sentence to attach to, such as it is wrong, creating a full thought. What you're doing is wrong. There. What is functioning as the relative pronoun? What you're doing is wrong. What is the relative pronoun. Therefore, in English, it's important to ask yourself 
whenever you run into who, which, what, if that W word is introducing a question and that's part of the main sentence. So then if so, it's interrogative, not relative. This is mostly true of Latin as well, and you'll learn very quickly how to tell whether a W word is interrogative or relative from context. Stay with me. So here, I'm going to go ahead and recite the relative pronouns in the singular, starting with masculine, feminine, and then neuter. Qui, quai, quad. Cuius, cuius, cuius. Qui, qui, qui. Quem, quam, quad. Quo, qua, quod. From the nominative to the ablative. Even though the nominative singular forms, qui, qui, quad, are irregular, and you'll just have to memorize them, which are pretty easy to qui, qui, quad, qui, cues, 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 qui, qui, qui. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, the neuter shows that quad, aka that final D, similar to that D in illud, and we talked about illud, this and that, these and those, all that good stuff. Hick, hike, hock, ile, ila, illud. And the characteristic of that, well, that D, going back to it, is the characteristic of the archaic, archaic neuter form in the, the singular pronoun forms of Latin. And because the neuter nominative singular is quad, that means the accusative singular is quad also right in the neuter. Neuter nominatives and accusatives are always the same. I just was reiterating that to my students and beating it into their brain sickles. Um... Notice that there's really a small irregularity in the base of the genitive singular and dative singular, where the standard base QU is replaced by CU, probably for no other reason than Qs, which is kind of hard to say. Oh, look at that. My little sister's calling me. I'll call her back. I'm working, babe. Come on. Grind in here. All right. By now, you should expect the genitive singular to end in IUS as it does in many pronoun forms, and the dative singular to end I. While the accusative singular masculine ends in an EM, an ending that looks like it's drawn from the third declension, its feminine counterpart and the ablative singular forms follow first, second declension forms. Here is the plural of the Latin relative pronoun. Qui, quae, quae, quorum, 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 quibus, 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 quos, quas, quae, quibus, 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 skibidibidap. Note that the nominative forms in the masculine and feminine, qui and quae, are totally predictable if one assumes first slash second declension endings. Not so much, however, for the neuter nominative and accusative plural, quae, which means the same holds true for its accusative plural counterpart, part quae, which it must be because neuter nominatives and accusatives are always the same. The genitive plural returns to the first slash second declension in a utterly, ooh, come on, grammarian, in an utterly predictable way. Bleh. Producing quorum, 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 as does the accusative plural, masculine and feminine, quos and quas. In, qu in quantrast, the dative and ablative plural form quibus, featuring a cameo from Elmer Fudd, which seems to derive from third declension. Luckily, although half of the endings come from first slash second declension. All righty. So, 
had to just take a little pause there for a second. I wanted to text my sister back, let her know that I want to talk to her. And uh, here's a translation of the relative pronoun. Let's just go ahead. We're going to talk about it. I, I want to say that we have about um, three more minutes. I know it's been a, a slog of a one, so thank you for bearing with me. It's relatively easy. To begin, though, there's no difference in translation between the singular and the plural. English doesn't di distinguish between singular and plural relative pronoun forms. So the singular translations here are used also in the plural. English spelling presents one challenge in the genitive singular, where the proper form is spelled whose. Right? A spelling that distinguishes that form from the collection, uh, I'm sorry, the contraction whose with a ticky mark s which is showing possession a shortened form of i'm sorry not showing possession it's a shortened form of who is also english retains an archaic objective form whom uh used in the non-nominative uh cases such as of whom an alternative whose or to whom in the dative whom in the accusative and by with from whom in the ablative if you ever use whom as a nominative, you're wrong. It can only be used in any of the other several iterations after the nominative. And here's one thing to note where I've put who in the masculine and feminine forms and which in the neuter, uh, really because that's the most common translation for those genders coming from gens, gentis, gens, type, or class. I've not really, um, I've not really been representing the, the full uh, reality of the issues, though, involving in translating the relative pronoun because it can be uh, often quite, well, in particular, which can be often, well, it can be, an, all right, backtrack on my thought process in my brain, which, which is a relative pronoun, can be and often is, um, used as a translation for the masculine and feminine forms of the relative pronoun, especially when it's the antecedent coming before something that is masculine or feminine in gender and Latin, but is perceived in English as it, such as love. We call love an it, but the Romans called love a he, right? In the Latin, the, no, the nominative uh, amor is actually a third declension masculine. Therefore, the proper form of the relative pronoun would be qui, deriving its gender from its antecedent amor, which is masculine, right? Remember, gender back in the day was just another form of classification. It didn't tie actual gender, actual max masculine feminine quality to it a lot of the time. That became more of a modernized thing, grammatical gender. Look it up, read about it. It's actually very interesting how it's kind of changed through time and history. But it raises an important question, and indeed an, an essential one, uh, in dealing with relative pronouns. Because we talked about it initially. What do they agree with? They're clearly drawn to directions. Their antecedent, the noun they modify in a way, has a number, gender, and case. They should agree with that in all three grammatical aspects, like an adjective but they also serve a particular function inside their own clauses. So while there's no problem with them agreeing in number and gender with their antecedent, what about case? 
should they be the same case as their antecedent? Or should they take the case necessary to show their function inside their own clause? If the case of the antecedent and the case required by the relative just happen to be the same, well, no problem. But statistically, that's not very likely. What if they're not? Which case is more important for the relative pronoun to take? The answer is, well, if you think about it, it's obvious, the case inside the clause. That's because even if the relative pronoun doesn't agree with its antecedent in case, it still does in number and gender, which makes it most often very easy to see which noun outside the relative clause is the antecedent. So the directional factor, which dictates most adjectives case endings isn't an overriding issue in the circumstance or in this circumstance particularly adjective etymologically ad meaning to or towards ject coming from yakeo which means to throw as you as we said they're directional in nature and in this case definitely a factor adjectives are just thrown towards whatever they're modifying a relative pronoun agrees with its antecedent in number and gender but not case it's, it gets its case from its own use in its own clause. Take, for example, this headline in the newspaper I read this morning. Not this morning, but I wrote this, I, well, I wrote this a while back. Because um, this, is, this is a little example that I've got written up. I, I really just have show notes that I kind of read from, and, uh, and then all the, the stuff starts to populate in my head. But I got this written down because this was back in the day when Corona happened. So, uh, I read it in the paper. It was like store, stores finally open up to the public, which had been closed for the prior three months. Um, yes, this was written amid the, amid the coronas, coronavirus pandemic, the COVID pandemic, as you can see. Uh, what case would the relative pronouns antecedent to the public be in Latin? Accusative. It's the direct object in the main sentence. And how is the relative pronoun which functioning in its own clause? Which has been closed is equal to the stores had been closed. It's subject, aka nominative. That means it's neuter plural because of its antecedent and nominative because its function is in, in its own clause. And the neuter nominative plural form of the relative pronoun, if you refer back and or have a chart in front of you, would see that in this case, that would be quai. With that being said, we're going to leave it there. Thank yourselves for making to this point because I thank you and I appreciate you. You rock. I know this was a little heavy, but this is good stuff. This is important for just understanding in general in the world that we live in with the English that we utilize in order to speak more deliberately and sound more well-versed. Thank you, Toes. What I'm thinking today is, um, well, my body is resilient. And even though I've been going through a long, hard time, um, I'm still finding a way. We always find a way. So I guess I'm just thinking my perseverance, my pet perseverance. However you, is it perser or preser? I don't know. Hit me up with that one. Perseverance, perseverance. It's perseverance. It's not perseverance. Because per means through, pre means um, before. So it would change the meaning of that word. Anyways, thank you guys again. Tempus est, discelerate.